just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. We're at midweek. Just a heads up, I had told you that I was going to record an extra podcast with Ed, my perpetual guest on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Uh, we were going to do that on Monday, but it didn't happen because of some, uh, some schedule conflicts. But I'm going to be recording that extra podcast with Ed later today, so be looking for that. Now, I wanted to start the show with a story that's kind of out of the realm of what we would normally talk about. It really doesn't fit the the uh, normal stories that we would cover, but I think it's important, especially for the people that listen to this podcast and for me, because we're all getting a bit older. We're getting up there in years. I wanted to acknowledge the passing of Gilbert Gottfried. He suffered with a long illness that affected his heart. Now, at the time of his death, he was just 67 years old, which kind of freaks me out. That seems very young, especially now that in a few days I'll be 62. That puts a different perspective on life. When you get in your late 60s, it's conceivable you could die. You could get some crazy disease. It's almost a crapshoot. When you're 25, 30, 35, chances are you're going to be fine, save for an accident or something like that. But when you get to be my age or maybe your age, things get to be a little less for sure. I mean, I've had friends who have contracted cancer and in a year or two died getting some other debilitating disease that makes life difficult. I think any time we are at our age and can still uh, be ambulatory and still do the things we want, we should uh, feel blessed by that. Anyway, I wouldn't really say that I was a Gilbert Gottfried uh, fanatic. I'm really not a fanatic about any entertainer or athlete or singer or anything like that. I, I never have been. Well, I will say I was at one point when I was very young, loved Elvis Presley. Now, I was born in 60, so I never really saw him in his heyday of the 50s when he was just becoming the king of rock and roll. But when I got to be 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I started to see his movies on the late shows and on Saturdays and Sundays. And I got to tell you, this guy looked cool. He had these movies where he would sing in the movies, and I thought the songs were great. In retrospect, they weren't so great. But here's a guy that looked as good as he did. He won every race. He won every fight. He got every girl. Now, as a young boy... Who wouldn't want to be fucking Elvis Presley? That was the only time in my life I guess I was fanatical about someone. But as I've grown older, you know, there are some entertainers, some celebrities I like, some that I don't like. I did like Gilbert Gottfried, but I wasn't a freak about it. What I did appreciate about him was his courage. 
I mean, as crazy and quirky as he was, he said things that people were thinking but wouldn't dare say. He said what he wanted to say, when he wanted to say it, and where he wanted to say it. And he got in some trouble. He lost some jobs, but you know what? He never stopped doing that. He always stayed true to himself. He was always authentic. He didn't care what came down on him. He was going to speak his mind. He was going to say what he wants to do. And I can appreciate that. I hope to emulate that in doing what I'm doing with the Rational Boomer podcast and TikTok. I think there's a lot of people out there that want to say certain things but are afraid or can't because of limitations they have with work or their families or their friends. And I have some of those limitations, but I believe I have a right, I have a responsibility to say what I think. I have my First Amendment right, and I'm going to exercise it. Uh, what's, what's the old phrase? I've said this before. Let justice be done. May, or uh, Hold on. Let justice be done even if the heavens fall. That's a paraphrase. But the point of that is let's have justice even if the shit around us falls apart. I think in this world we need more people talking straight, more people feeling comfort, comfortable to speak their mind. I found it much more efficient when you run into somebody who speaks their mind so you don't have to spend time dicking around and parrying and posing and posturing and all that shit. I'd rather hear you tell me the whole truth, even if you want to tell me you think I suck. I'd rather know that up front than have to try to decipher it by the way I was talking to you. Now, the interesting thing about Gilbert Gottfried, I always knew his style. And at times it was really funny, and at times I found it kind of annoying. Even though he was speaking his truth, his delivery was a little annoying at times. It was a little over the top, and sometimes I wasn't all that thrilled by it. I didn't really gain a lot of interest in him until I listened to his podcast. Maybe you've listened to it. The Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Now, when I first saw it, I said, yeah, I don't want to hear that shit. I can't listen to that voice for an hour. But one day I was looking for something to listen to, and I played the podcast, and I found it very interesting. It was actually a very good podcast, and he was much better than I expected. He did interviews with his co-host, Frank, a lot of old stars from movies, TV, music, not to mention writers, directors, and producers. And as an old guy, I appreciated the nostalgia of the show. He was really into horror movies, and I'm not a huge horror movie guy. But when I was young, I loved those old horror movies, Frankenstein, Dracula, Werewolf, all that kind of stuff. And he was into it, too. So I did find it interesting, and I found him and Frank doing a very good job of interviewing people that were kind of obscure. You knew who they were when they told you, but they weren't somebody that you thought about it. It might be old you know, character actors or old comedy second bananas from TV, but it was interesting. Now, through listening to his podcast, I came to realize that for as loud and crass as he was, and he was that, he said some fucking crazy shit. In spite of that, when you really got to listen to him as a human being, as Gilbert Gottfried, not the performer, you could see, I almost felt sorry for him because he seemed so fragile. 
He seemed very passive. He really loved his friends, and he adored his family. And uh, I had a lot of respect for that. I mean, because he was never the huge big star, but he made a lot of money. He lived pretty good. He had a nice wife who helped produce the podcast. He had two young children, and he adored those kids. When you saw him not on, as it were, he was a very unassuming guy, a quiet guy, maybe even a shy guy. So I appreciated him for what he was. You know, it's sad we've recently lost three comedians, and all of them beloved by people in this country. We lost Louis Anderson, who's from my home state, Minnesota, Bob Saget, and of course, Gilbert Gottfried. It's sad that we lose good people, decent people, loving people, and we have these evil assholes that continue to thrive and, and continue to do the things they do. I don't know if the old adage of only the good die young is true or not, but in this instance, it sure seems like that. With the likes of Donald Trump, some of his cronies, Vladimir Putin, and some of these other people in this world, this place might be better off without them. But instead, we lose Louis Anderson, Bob Saget, and Gilbert Gottfried. It's a sad day. It's a sad day, and I'll tell you, I don't know if they'll keep his podcast up or not. I hope they do. If you haven't listened to the podcast, go back and sample it a little bit. I think you'll find it very entertaining, and I think you'll find it uh, very good, surprisingly good. I didn't expect much out of it when I first went to it, but I was kind of desperate for something to listen to, and I like interview shows, so I said, fuck it, I'll listen to it. And then after that, I was pretty hooked. I was pretty hooked, and of course, Gilbert said some crazy fucking shit, but then so do I. I don't get offended by those things. They're just words, and sometimes they're pretty damn funny. All right, it was a bad day for the state of New York yesterday. Of course, we heard about the 10 people that were shot at a Brooklyn, New York subway station. I understand as many as 29 people were sent to area hospitals to be uh, treated. Now, nobody was killed, thankfully. And surprisingly, most of the injuries were not life-threatening, and they're being taken care of and either are out of the hospital or will be out of the hospital very soon. And that's good news. That's surprising news. Apparently, this attacker came into the the subway car in Brooklyn. He had a gas mask on, and he had an orange vest, like one of those construction vests. He set off a smoke bomb, got it difficult for people to see in that subway car, and then he just started fucking shooting. The suspect was described as about five foot five inches tall, heavy set, black, and he wore a gas mask and an orange vest, like I said. Now, here's the surprising and disappointing thing. You know, in New York City, there are cameras everywhere. You can't go anywhere without being on a camera. But the cameras at this subway station didn't fucking work. How is that possible, especially with all the violence that's been going on as of late? 
They didn't work. Now, that said, uh, there are some outside the subway station that did work, and um, they'll be able to track some things there. And in fact, they found some evidence. The NYPD identified a man named Frank James, who's 62 years old, as a person of interest. Records show that he was the person that rented a U-Haul van that they found. See, apparently what he did when he left the subway car, he dropped his credit card with his fucking name on it and his keys to the U-Haul van. And later they even found a um, Glock 9mm pistol, which is what he probably used. Now, as far as we know, he detonated two smoke grenades. They found those in the subway car as well. Now, the unfortunate thing, this suspect is still at large, and uh, NYPD is hunting for this person of interest. They're not saying he's the suspect, but uh, it appears as though he is the suspect. Um, He was the one that rented the U-Haul. He is the one that was on the credit card. It was in the subway car, and he was gone after it was done. I think it's pretty clear that he is the guilty one. Now, the stories about him say he might be mentally unstable. He might not be all there. He's made some posts, and he was angry with uh, the mayor of New York, which seems weird, because he tracks back, well, he rented the U-Haul van in Philadelphia. And he has some connection to Wisconsin as well. And for whatever reason, he has a hard-on for the New York mayor. I don't know what the story is, and we probably won't know anything about it until he's caught. But the way this particular suspect is behaving, you can be pretty certain he will be caught. They have a picture, they have a name, and they have evidence tying him to it. Now, when they went to the van, apparently they found some stuff in there, too. Um, I can't remember all the things they found, but they had some um, personal fireworks types of things. I don't know if maybe he was going to use that as a distraction. Well, that wasn't the only thing that went bad in New York yesterday. Apparently, New York Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin was arrested because he was part of a campaign scheme. He was charged with bribery, fraud, and falsifying records. Well, that's troubling. Benjamin then decided he better resign, which was probably a good choice at that point. He was the lieutenant governor under Kathy Hochul, which is interesting because Kathy Hochul was the lieutenant governor that replaced Andrew Cuomo when he was forced to resign after being accused of sexual assault. Now, thankfully, New Yorkers are pretty resilient. They've gone through a lot of things, including 9-11. So they'll get through this, too. They will handle it. And everything will work out. They will catch this guy. They'll get a new lieutenant uh, governor, and uh, they will prosecute this guy, and hopefully he ends up in jail. What's really troubling about this 
is every time we turn around, we hear about some kind of violence, some kind of problems in this world, in this country. I mean, we've got all that's going on in Ukraine, and we're going to talk about that in the second half. But we have a lot of divisiveness in this country, and we have a lot of mentally ill people in this country that were kicked out of their uh, institutions back with Ronald Reagan when he cut back all the monies to mental health. So we've got a lot of people that are angry with other people, Republicans hating Democrats, Democrats hating uh, Republicans, white people hating people of color. It just seems like every way you turn, somebody's arguing with somebody. I'll be honest with you. If I was on the street and I talked to some people and I wanted to argue about whether it be Donald Trump, the Republicans, whatever, racist, I could do it every day. But I've learned through it all that uh, it doesn't pay. You can't talk these people into anything. You can't convince them of anything. All it does is become a big brouhaha for no fucking reason. If you can't convince these people, why waste your time with them? But this is something we really have to address and something we have to fix. It's one thing about fixing our government. It's another thing about making sure the people in the middle class are served for once. And hopefully we're on track doing that. But at some point, we have to have something that unifies at least the majority of the country. I mean, when you see the Republican Party, which is a little less than half the country, and 70% of those folks still think Donald Trump won, still think the election was stolen, that's troubling. And frankly, I don't know that all these people that think this are evil. I think they're lazy. I think they're stupid. I think they're just not working at it. You know, it's one thing to look for the truth. And that's something we should all do. But we have to understand sometimes when we find the truth, it may not be what we're looking for or what we're hoping for. It may go against what we believe. And we should be strong enough and uh, confident enough to say, oh, okay, that's wrong. I'll change my opinion. Now, it seems like the people on the Republican side have a difficult time doing that. They've been shown evidence. They've been shown videos. It's right in front of their face, but they refused to believe it. The only thing that matters to them is their agenda, and they feel like if they vote for the home team and support whatever the home team says, whether it's true or not, then they can win. That kind of attitude is not going to work in this country. The Democrats have some control now. I think in the midterms, the Democrats will get more control. I think when the midterms come and Donald Trump's uh, influence doesn't have as much impact, Donald Trump will be less a factor in the Republican Party. Now, even if Donald Trump went away, we still have a large portion of the Republican Party that are racist, white supremacist, anti-Semites, misogynists. I mean, you watch what's going on all over the country. We've got state after state after state implementing these laws to make abortion illegal, even though in the Supreme Court it's considered settled law and it's protected by the Constitution. These states 
seem to think that they can go against the Constitution, even though they claim to be patriots and all about the Constitution. It's like these religious zealots who read the Bible, and they stick uh, solely to the Bible up until the time when something contradicts what they believe, and then they reinterpret it or ignore it. The people that are the religious zealots, the evangelicals, and the Republicans and the trump they're all doing the same thing. Truth doesn't matter to them. Justice doesn't matter. It's just all about their own enrichment, their own benefits, and winning over the people they hate, which is, in the case of Republicans, the Democrats. Funny thing about uh, evangelicals or any other religions, Catholics, Mormons, um, I've always been surprised when I've talked to these people because these people really believe that the chosen ones were the people in their group, Catholics, Mormons, evangelicals. Everybody else is going to hell. And I just can't buy into that. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're looking at God, I don't know that he cares about religions or she cares about religions. It's about who you are as a person, how you treat other people. And when you look at evangelicals or the Republicans abusing other people, essentially, I think they're mistaken as to how this is going to end up for them. Somehow, some way, we have to get some unity back in this country. We've got to unify people if we hope to get anything done. I mean, you think about it. You think about Congress. You think about Senate. Now, whenever the Senate is in session and there's a bill up, if it's a Democratic bill, the Republicans are going to try to block it. But don't be fooled. If the Republicans are in power and they try to bring something up, You know the Democrats will go into a filibuster mode right away and try to block it, too. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We've got a bunch of people in our government that are first and foremost looking to enrich themselves, and only themselves. The idea of serving the public, serving the country, serving the people in the middle class who are the backbone of this country either come second or third or not at all. As long as people will buy into the bullshit and they don't have to do anything, that's what's going to happen. So whether you be Democrat or Republican, at some point we have to insist that they do the job they've been elected to. Until we insist it and until we hold them accountable for not doing it, They'll continue to do exactly what they do. And again, we're all for the Democrats now because the Republicans are fucking crazy. But when things settle down, things get back to normal, or even when the Democrats get into power, we have to understand. They have a track record of not serving the people they're supposed to be representing. So if we can get Democrats with full power... We still have to put the pressure on them. We still have to hold their feet to the fire in order for them to do what we expect them to do. So we've got a lieutenant governor who's trying to cheat, rob, and steal. We got a guy 
going into a subway because he's not happy about something and we don't even know what the fuck it is and feels like he can pull out a gun and just shoot people. That's a troubling state in this country. We've got corruptions, we've got criminality, and people not caring about who gets hurt as long as they win. This is a serious problem in this country. This is a problem we have to fix. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, this is a topic I hate talking about, but it's probably one of the most important topics of the day. I'm talking about the... Russian invasion of Ukraine and some of the atrocities that we're seeing. It's bad enough that they invade a country, but they are doing some horrific things. We've been hearing about the atrocities in the city of Bucha. They found hundreds of murdered civilians' bodies in the streets. We've also have been hearing about Russian soldiers torturing and raping women and children. The thought of that is troubling to me. And now they've uncovered some proof of just that activity. I just heard about this yesterday. And um, for a moment, I said, you know, I don't even want to talk about this. This is too upsetting. But I think we have to. We have to understand just how bad things are in Ukraine in order to realize the things we need to do to help stop this. Ukrainians that came back into the city after Russian soldiers left Bucha, when they came back, they were looking at the dead bodies in the streets, the destruction. But they came across a residence and they went in the basement And in this basement was 25 women squeezed together in this basement. And the stories these women told were frightening. These 25 women were in this basement. Russian soldiers were there for all the time they were in the middle of the siege. And what these soldiers did is they tortured and raped these women over and over and over again. Turns out that at least nine of these women that were raped continually are now pregnant. It sounds like that the um, Russian soldiers were trying to, I don't know, ruin the women um, to um, make them not want to be part of Ukraine or have sex in Ukraine and raise Ukrainian children. This was absolute torture and rape. And it's inexcusable. As far as I'm concerned, when you talk about NATO saying, you don't want to go chemical, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, um, or nuclear, you just take this one step and you're going to have to deal with NATO. But the United States and NATO have been holding back. And you have to wonder, what's it going to take? Granted, If they go after a NATO country, then the world comes falling down on Russia. 
But when you see the atrocities, the torture, and the rape of innocent women and children, there's got to be a point where it comes to a point that we have to do something to stop this. We just can't stand by on the sidelines watching it happen and saying, boy, if you just make that one more step, we're coming to get you. But then you never do. I understand the problems with the U.S. government and NATO. They're afraid of the possibility of a nuclear war. But still, this is a problem. Now, while we're on the topic of that, we are also hearing that there may be evidence that Russia used chemical weapons in Maripol. It hasn't been proven yet. They're investigating it. But it's not surprising. You should expect that out of Russia when you consider the fact that Russia did use chemical weapons in Syria. And they are torturing, raping, killing women and children and men in Ukraine at this very moment. Putin is without question a war criminal, and the extent of his cruelty and evil is immeasurable. I mean, this guy is a monster. We maybe never knew that before, but we certainly know that now. The evidence is right in front of our face, and the evidence is shown to us on the uh, cable news every fucking night. And at some point, this has got to hit home with us. But here's my question about this whole thing. When Joe Biden was asked what he would do if Russia used chemical weapons, Joe Biden said he would respond in kind. Okay. Well, what does that mean? They already sanctioned the shit out of Russia. I mean, I'm sure there's other sanctions they can put in place, but are they any worse than what they've already done? I mean, the economy is crumbling in Russia. Is a sanction, is one more sanction really going to be the thing that breaks the camel's back and make Vladimir Putin give up and back out? I doubt it. I fucking doubt it. But like I said, uh, America and the NATO countries are concerned about getting in and fighting side by side with Ukraine against the Russians because the Russians would perceive that as an attack on them by NATO countries. Then we're in World War III and possibly a nuclear conflict, which we know how that will end. It won't go well for anybody. Now, nobody in their right mind would start a nuclear conflict, but we don't know if Vladimir Putin is, in fact, in his right mind, whether he's faking it to uh, use that against us or he's really just fucking crazy. And you have to wonder, I mean, his country is falling apart. It's crumbling. And he still keeps pushing forward. He can't take over the entire country of Ukraine, so he's instead going to focus on a smaller area, thinking he can pull that off. I question that. Now, I understand that uh, America just put together another package to send even bigger weapons to Ukraine. And hopefully they're going right to the eastern side of Ukraine and to southern Ukraine, because that seems to be where Russia is focusing. I've also heard that uh, America has approved and agreed to send them Russian MiGs, airplanes, fighters, through Slovakia. They weren't 
for it when it was coming from Poland, but now America is okay with it if they're coming from Slovakia. I don't know how many planes they're going to get. Hopefully they get enough, but apparently the planes are coming, and it will have a definite um, benefit to the Ukrainian military. Now, they have... They have an air force, but it's a pretty weak air force, and largely due to the fact they don't have many planes. And, of course, some of those planes have been shot down. But at this point, Russia does not have air superiority, which is a good thing for Ukraine. And if Ukraine got enough planes and got air superiority, well, that would be a big problem for Russia, especially if they're focusing on eastern and southern Ukraine. If they have the planes to fly over and shut some of these advances down, that would be uh, optimal. And hopefully that will be the case. But my question still is, if we find out that in Maripol, Russians did use chemical weapons, they're talking about something like phosphorus. If they did find it, Joe Biden did say, We will respond in kind, but for the life of me, I don't know what he means by that. I don't know if he even had anything specific in mind. It was just a threat to uh, deter them from using chemical weapons. But we know that Vladimir Putin doesn't listen to shit. He's used chemical weapons before. We don't know that he has any limitations at all, and he will go forward and do whatever the fuck he likes. But if we do find out they're chemical weapons, something really has to be done. Now, I love the idea that they're sending more money, more more planes, more uh, military equipment. That's good. And uh, Ukraine's done a very good job of holding off Russia, and I think they can in eastern Ukraine and southern Ukraine. As much as Russia likes the idea of uh, concentrating their efforts, it'll also allow Uh, Ukraine to concentrate their efforts. The one big advantage that Ukraine has over and above the military hardware they get from NATO is that they have a lot more people. I mean, this is a country of 40 million people. Russia's got a couple of hundred thousand troops coming into the Ukraine. They are weaponizing even civilians. So, theoretically, Ukraine has a lot more people to fight against the Russian military. And that's proved to be a big problem for them up to now. They've had some severe difficulties with this. So, I'm going to be watching very closely to find out if they can prove or show any evidence of chemical warfare. What I'm afraid of, though, is if they find out there was some chemical warfare going on, by way of Russia, they may just keep it quiet because maybe America and NATO doesn't want to be called out at this point because as much as they're making threats, I don't see what else they can do and maybe they don't either. But we will see. We will keep a close eye on it and let you know how things progress with Maripol and, of course, all of that's going on in Ukraine. Now, Joe Biden got a lot of heat for saying that Vladimir Putin was a war criminal. Everybody was up in arms. How could he say that? 
Shortly after that, though, we saw the atrocities in Bucha. And uh, it turned out, well, Joe Biden was absolutely right. Now nobody's bitching about it. Everybody's repeating what Joe Biden said. You know, the thing about it is, is that they always say what a president says means something. It matters. And it's true. If a president says another leader is a war criminal, that puts the uh, intensity at a higher level because it does mean a lot. Well, Joe Biden isn't, uh, isn't uh, shying away from saying even more. Joe Biden just said that what Vladimir Putin is doing is genocide. Now, you'll remember other people said it was genocide, and uh, Biden and some of his people said, well, I don't know if it's genocide as yet, because, again, that's a, a next step. Vladimir Putin, well, let, let, let me just put it to you this way. Joe Biden is saying that Russia's deadly attack on Ukraine is, in fact, genocide. And that's a big step. From all that we see, he is right again. Biden said Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of even being a Ukrainian. Now, Vladimir Putin has said as much. He doesn't believe Ukraine and Ukrainians even exist because he believes they belong to Russia. They don't have a right to exist. He went in there thinking they would welcome him with open arms, throw flowers at him, and let him take over the country so they could be under the guise, under the control of Vladimir Putin and Russia. Well, it didn't turn out that way. It didn't turn out that way at all. Now, Biden said that ultimately lawyers would decide whether Russia's actions meet the international definition of genocide, but it sure seems like it to me. Well, that's a good question. That's a very good question. What is the definition of genocide? Is Joe right? The definition of genocide from the, uh, from the dictionary is deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or group. Well, I'd say Joe Biden fucking nailed it, didn't, don't you? That's exactly what Vladimir Putin is doing. That's exactly what he said he was going to do. Ukrainians don't exist. The country of Ukraine doesn't exist. It's all part of Russia. They didn't welcome him with open arms, so now he's got to wipe them off the planet so that he can take control of Ukraine, or at least the eastern part of Ukraine, and uh, start over. You see, he can come in and take over Ukraine, but if the people haven't bought into it, he's going to have a hell of a time maintaining control. It's just not going to work. He doesn't have enough men. He doesn't have enough power to maintain control over Ukraine. So even if he goes in here, um, takes Kiev, which he's not even trying to do anymore, and uh, he wins the war, he still has a problem. He still has to run Ukraine, and he has a bunch of people in Ukraine that just aren't interested in cooperating with him. And, of course, this war, the atrocities and all that's tied to it don't help him much. They don't help him much at all. 
Now, the question I have is something that Joe talked about. Lawyers will have to decide whether or not what Vladimir Putin is doing meets the definition of uh, genocide. Well, it clearly it does, because we just talked about the definition of genocide. It's exactly what Vladimir Putin is doing. However, so we get to that point. Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. He committed genocide. He should go to the International Court at The Hague and uh, be prosecuted and ultimately found guilty and jailed or whatever it is they do. My question is, regardless of how the war goes, how do we load up Vladimir Putin and bring him to The Hague? How does that even happen? You're not going to send in troops and say, okay, Vlad, here's the handcuffs. We'll put it on you. We're going to The Hague. That's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. And it goes back to something I've said all along. In order for something to happen with Vladimir Putin, it can't come from NATO countries. It can't come from America. It has to come from Russia. People inside the country are the ones that are going to have to act against Vladimir Putin. And clearly, that is a scary situation for these folks. But will they do it? I think ultimately they will, but I have no idea how long it's going to fucking take and how much damage, destruction, and trauma they will um, commit while waiting for that point in time. And that's the hardest part. We've got all these NATO countries in America, as I say, just watching these atrocities happening and feeling like they can't do anything. We're talking about a bully here with Vladimir Putin in Russia, and there's only one thing they respect, force, violence. That's the only thing they respect. Unfortunately, that's the case. And at some point in time, if we hope to stop this animal, we may have to resort to some force, even if it does risk the possibility of World War III. And I hate to say that because I don't want to see that at all. Nothing good can come from it, but it's hard to sit and watch these people being raped and tortured and murdered for fucking nothing. Absolutely nothing. And X, uh, here, let, let's go back to the insurrection. This is interesting. You know, Roger Stone was convicted of a felony. He went to jail. And of course, uh, Donald Trump pardoned him. He's out. He's arrogant, he's loud, he's a dipshit. Then he said he had nothing to do with the insurrection on January 6th. Yet now we're finding out there's some video. He had a close connection to the Oath Keepers. He was using the Oath Keepers as a security for himself. He said he wasn't at the U.S. Capitol in January 6th, but it turns out he was. And now some even more evidence an ex-Roger Stone aide was caught on tape making a plea to Trump fans prior to the January 6th insurrection. His name is Jason Sullivan. Reportedly, he encouraged extremists to descend on the Capitol on January 6th, the day Congress certified the election. Now, it was on a conference call with Trump supporters. He said they should go to the Capitol and pressure lawmakers not to certify the election. He told them the election had been stolen, uh, 
and he said they should make members of Congress sweat. He said if we make them sweat and make them understand that they might not be able to walk the streets if they do the wrong thing, maybe they will do the right thing. He also told them that Trump would impose martial law that day and would never leave the White House. He said that Biden will never be in the White House. That's my promise to each and every one of you. But then he said, uh, well, he doesn't condone violence. And he said uh, he was just merely sharing some encouragement with disenfranchised voters. I don't know. That sounds like a fucking confession to me. We know all of what's going on. We know how members of Congress were involved. We are now getting uh, uh, the um, Ali Alexander, the the uh, leader of the Proud Boys. He's sitting in jail waiting to be uh, sentenced to a long sentence or at least be tried and then sentenced. Well, now he's cooperating with the Department of Justice. With Ali Alexander and his connection to Donald Trump, obviously there's some connections to Roger Stone and this aid and all of this stuff going on. I've said it before, you know, when I first saw what happened on January 6th, I did honestly believe that it was just a bunch of people going nuts trying to take over. Now, I did believe that Donald Trump tried to incite him. But with Donald Trump, it's a weird situation. As I've said before, Donald Trump isn't a planner. He isn't a thinker. He just does whatever comes to mind at that point in time. So clearly some other people within his organization were involved in the planning because there was so much to be planned out. We had the fake electors. We had the attack on the U.S. Capitol. We had people in Congress, maybe a hundred representatives in the House of Representatives, trying to help him stop the steal, if you will. They were talking to individual states, secretaries of states, trying to get them to overturn elections. They were hitting this from all angles. This was clearly planned. This was Uh, clearly strategized, and they were implementing this plan every step of the way. That's how insidious this was. It wasn't just some reaction. It was premeditated. It was planned. They implemented. The only thing that I can say is for all the work they put in and all the things they thought about and all the things they wanted to do, they still fucking failed. And that's not surprising. Anything Donald Trump is involved in, it's going to be a fucking failure. And it was a failure. Not unlike his new app, Truth Social. (laughs) We talked about that a little while ago. And, of course, that is failing miserably. It's making no money. The investors are starting to get a little hinky, maybe backing out. And once again, whatever Donald Trump does fucking fails. The insurrection is starting to come to light now. We're starting to hear more things and see more things. I honestly believe that the Democrats are kind of trying to time this out so we can keep coming up with negative shit and exposing evidence up until the time of the midterms. 
And the reason for doing that, of course, is because people forget shit. I mean, with Donald Trump, he could do something horrific and people would be outraged. And then later on, something just as horrific or more so would happen and you'd forget about the other thing. Well, we can't afford to forget about anything. It's all got to be brought to light. Any accountability has to be executed. And we have to keep up the pressure between now and November. We know that the uh, television hearings are coming soon, and that is going to be the whipped cream or the cherry on top. When it's on TV on a regular basis for weeks or even months, a lot is going to be exposed. It's going to be very dramatic testimony. It's going to be must-see TV, and everybody is going to see it, and that is going to have a huge impact. As much as the Democrats appear to not be tough enough or smart enough to compete with the Republicans, I do think they have a plan here about exposing all these people that were involved and the horrific things that they did. They're going to keep exposing it now until November in order to stop Republicans from winning back the majority in the House or the Senate. Because if that happens, then we're all in trouble. For the next two years, nothing will happen. Nothing will be cleared. Even if we need to put in a Supreme Court justice like Katanji Brown-Jackson, we're going to have a tough time doing that because the Republicans will be fighting against it at every level. So a lot of what we can hope for our future is hinging on what happens in November. And the Democrats can't fuck this up. They can't get too lazy. They can't get complacent. They can't be weak about it. And I can only hope that their plan is in the works. It looks like it is. But again, it comes down to having to execute that plan. Clearly, Donald Trump, the trump and all his little cronies aren't good with plans, with the way that the insurrection went. Hopefully the Democrats will be a little stronger and we will be able to save this country by getting the midterms to go the way of the Democrat instead of the way of the Republicans. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time with me. If you have questions, comments, or complaints, by all means, send me an email directly at rationalboomer at gmail.com. You can go to anchor.fm, find the Rational Boomer podcast, and leave a voicemail. And a reminder, at some point today, I'm going to record yet another podcast with Ed. It should be interesting. We've got some interesting things to talk about. He wants to talk about education in this country. And I think it's a good topic because there's a lot of problems with public education in this country. And here in my own home state, there are huge problems, too. So we've got a lot to talk about with regards to that. Of course, other things as well, Ukraine and uh, some of the things happening in this country with the insurrection and the investigations and such. So be sure you look for that and catch that podcast with that. All right. You have a great day. We'll be back again tomorrow for sure, but maybe even later today. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.